0: to see all of you, and I know I know we're not able to see all of you yet, but we're looking forward to the day when we can, and so uh, so thankful to have you who are here in person and you who are joining online. Uh, we're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke, so if you have a Bible or a device on which you can pull up YouVersion, the Bible app, or something, you can follow along. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today. So we're finally a fourth of the way through the Gospel of Luke, and some of you are probably saying, Oh my goodness, it took us that long to get through a fourth of it. Well, it is the longest gospel, and it's really good because a gospel is an account of Jesus' life and ministry. It shows us who Jesus is and what he did and then communicates to us why that matters, why that is life-changing and transforming. And so uh, we're going to take our time and walk through Luke, and we're going to dive deep into who Jesus is. And today we're going to see some things about Jesus and about those who trust in him that I hope will be life transforming for us. Um, and so I hope you're turning to Luke chapter 7. I uh, just want to say it was, it was a joy to be able to sing together, wasn't it? So, you know, I've been able to hear Pastor Cameron sing each week, you know, but, and I love Cameron. But it was good to hear some of your voices uh, that maybe aren't as talented like mine is. Um, so that was good for my heart, you know. So uh, it's good to have you with us, and, uh, and I'm a little emotional about it. So it's good to see you. But, oof, goodness. All right. Not going to cry. Weird emotions and things happening during the season. Does anybody have the weird nightmares? The, the pandemic nightmares? Yeah. I see some of you raising your hands at home. You you just woke up from one and turned on church. And so, you know, last night I had, this really has nothing to do with the message, but I've just got to tell it. Because I've gotten text messages from several of you about this saying, Pastor, I'm having these weird nightmares and I don't know what to do with them. And all I say back is, me too. Um, So last night, I told Brittany this this morning, I had this nightmare where transformers were real. Do you guys remember Transformers? Okay, they, I mean they had eight hundred movies that came out over the last like ten years. So, surely you're aware of this. But they were they were these cars that transformed into uh, into robots that that fought and such. And, and I know some of you who actually know about Transformers are saying you're totally butchering it, Pastor. But that's okay. <laughs> Anyways, they were terrifying. You know, I remember we went to Universal Studios one time and we. We rode the Transformers ride, you know, and that was terrifying. But in the dream, it was like, you you don't know that it's not real when it's happening. And so I woke up this morning freaked out because the Decepticons were winning. And so that's how I'm coming into worship this morning. So, you know, if you're coming in and this is strange for you, it's, we're on the same, we're in the same boat. It's okay. All right. So we're going to get through this. But Luke chapter 7 I'm going to pray for us one more time uh, in these strange times and ask God to speak through his word. Would you join me? (laughs) Laughter is good. It's good. Father, we thank you for the time we have together. And God, we ask that you would humble us before your word. Lord, help us to hear and listen with receptive hearts. God, would you speak to us today in the song that we just sang. God, that's our prayer. Would you show us Christ? Christ. Would you show us who he is, what he's done for us, why that matters, why it transforms our hearts and minds, and how it transforms our lives, the way we live. God, would you help us this morning to understand uh, the kind of loving authority that you exercise over us and towards us, and and, and the gift of humble faith that we can express and, and live out in you. So, God, help us this morning. Give us your wisdom and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, whenever you hear the words police officer or law enforcement, what do you think of? You see, right now in our historical and cultural moment, you might think of things that maybe you didn't think of before. You might think about tension. You might think about controversy. You might think, especially in Louisville right now, with the headlines we've seen over the last several weeks with the Breonna Taylor case and other things going on, the police chief stepping down and things, you might think about all of these things. You might think about ways in which uh, this idea of authority or law enforcement was maybe misused. You might think of ways in which, maybe that's how you think about authority in general is that authority, and it's kind of justified to think about authority in this way in a fallen post-Genesis 3 world, that sometimes authority is misused. And instead of it being used to protect and serve, it's used to gain and maintain power and control. So maybe you have some of these thoughts that come up in your mind. And I do too. I understand that. I feel that. I mean, I, over the last few weeks, I've been grieving with our African-American brothers and sisters in the African-American community and, and praying for them and, and, and hurting for them, knowing that a lot of times they live a, a very different life than I do, that they have fears that I don't have to have when they consider authority, when they consider law enforcement, that's the reality of a broken world, is that sometimes those who are made and meant to protect and serve us sometimes misuse the authority they're given to do harm. That's what we have to live in the midst of. It doesn't just happen with law enforcement. It happens in all sorts of areas. It happens in our homes, and our workplaces, in all sorts of areas. But whenever I hear the words law enforcement or police officer, I, I don't just think about the brokenness that we see. I think about my uncle, who serves as a federal law enforcement officer, and I think about his humble faith that drives him to love, serve, and protect those that he is working for and serving in the community and in the nation. I think about my grandfather, who his whole career was a highway patrolman. I think about how he is the most humble man I have ever met in my life how constantly with his words and actions, he is seeking to love, serve, and protect. And I know that that's the kind of law enforcement officer he was his whole career, because I've seen it in the whole of his life. And this weekend, we we have the privilege of celebrating and remembering those who served our country and laid down their lives. That that's what they did with their authority, with their power, that they loved and served and protected, and they did so by sacrifice. And so, you see, in, in the midst of a Genesis 3 fallen world, we see authority in different ways at different times. Sometimes it is used correctly to protect and serve, and love is what drives that. Sometimes it's used To do harm and injustice. And really, pride is what drives that. And this morning in the Gospel of Luke in chapter seven, we're going to see an example uh, of loving authority from a place that you probably wouldn't expect. It certainly wasn't expected in this context. The example we're going to see this morning is from a Roman centurion, he was a Roman soldier. The Roman centurions, they were in charge of about a hundred men. And so he's high up in the Roman forces. In a lot of ways, he was a, he was a law enforcer. He was a soldier. And this morning, he's going to be the example. And, and, and we don't come to this passage today because I selected it for Memorial Day weekend. We come to this passage today because it's where God has us this morning. You see, we go through books and sections of the Bible together and we walk through them verse by verse and passage by passage and we just ask God to speak to us. And this just happened to be the passage that we landed on this morning. And I think it's so fitting this weekend and in this cultural, historical moment. Because what we're going to see today is two things in the example of this Roman soldier. We're going to see loving authority, and we're going to see humble faith. And ultimately those are the things that we see in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? And that's ultimately what we're pointed to. But whenever we read narratives in scripture, whenever we read something like a gospel or you go to the Old Testament, you read books like 1st and 2nd Samuel or other books of the Bible where it tells a story, where it tells history. Those authors are writing in such a way, yes, to point us to Jesus because ultimately that's where we find the the perfect vision and version of what humanity was created to be and where we find our Savior. But they're also laying before us these other characters, these other people in the story, in the grand redemptive plans of God, and those people are meant to be examples as well. They're either meant to be examples of what humble faith looks like or what pride and rebellion against God and and doing harm towards others looks like. And so when we read the scriptures, we have to be asking, okay, what is God wanting to show me here in this passage? What is God wanting to show me about myself? What is he wanting to show me about himself? Who are the examples in this story? Who are we meant to learn from here? And today it's a Roman soldier, which would have been totally unexpected because the Jewish people hated the Romans. The Romans were cruel oppressors. They, they established a peace, but it was a kind of peace that was established by force as they conquered different kingdoms and peoples. And the way that they kept this vast kingdom in place, the way they kept peace, is they had a lot of soldiers who would enforce it who would keep the peoples in subjection to their authority. And this Roman soldier, he's different than what the Jewish people have expected and learned to see from Roman soldiers. He is utterly different than what you and I often expect to see from different authorities in our own lives. And really, he's a godly example of what authority can look like when it's driven by love and humble faith in God. So let's look together at Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read the passage for us, and then we'll look at these two ideas, loving authority and humble faith. Here's what it says, starting in verse 1. After he, talking about Jesus, had finished all his sayings and the hearings of the people, he entered Capernaum. So Jesus has just finished, in Luke chapter 6, this, one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Plain, and we spent several weeks walking through that. So he's finished his teaching, and now we're about to see, in this story form, some more things from Christ. It says, now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. A servant was highly valued by him, and when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So I just want to point out real quick before we jump into this first idea of loving authority, that did you see at the end there that the actual miracle in this passage, it's just mentioned in the last sentence. It's not even the main point of the passage. You see, the servant is healed. Jesus speaks a word and the servant is healed, and the servant's well when they return to the house and they see him up on his feet and he's doing well and he's alive. And everybody's excited. But the point of this passage isn't the miracle. You see, sometimes the point isn't the miracle. Sometimes it's what's surrounding it. This morning, the the point of the passage is the kind of loving authority we see exercised by the Roman soldier as he ultimately has humble faith in Christ. Who is the ultimate authority over all. So that's what we're looking at this morning. The miracle isn't even the point. Luke wants to draw our attention to these things. He wants to draw our attention to a Roman soldier, the the exact place that you would expect him not to draw our attention to because Roman soldiers were thought to be cruel and not to be examples of faith. You see, this would have been shocking for Jewish readers and listeners and those who heard this story, who heard about what happened and who read Luke's account of it. I would have thought, how possibly could a Gentile, meaning not a Jewish man or woman, not someone who was of the faith, who trusted in the Lord God, the creator and maker of all things, but a Gentile, an unbelieving person, how could someone who's outside of God's chosen people, Israel, how could this man be the example for us? This is the kind of thing that they would have thought. They would have thought, this is preposterous. It would have shocked them. It should shock us. It should wake us up to the reality that sometimes the religious people around us are not the example of humble faith. Sometimes those who are the most religious are the most devoid of saving and genuine faith in Christ. Sometimes those who, who go to church every Wednesday and Sunday morning and maybe even a Sunday night situation and they participate in all the studies and they do all the things. They read their Bible every day. Sometimes those who are the most religious are the most filled with pride and lacking of any kind of humble faith in Christ. Because they rely on their own resources, their own abilities. But we'll come back to that in just a moment. First, I want you to see this idea of loving authority here from this Roman soldier. This soldier, he has a servant who's sick and at the point of death, which means there's nothing that can be done for this man. He's going to die. There's no hope. And yet this soldier has heard about this man, Jesus, who people are saying he's the Christ and he's been performing miracles and he's been teaching the crowds and people are amazed at him. And so he hears about what this man is doing and he thinks, this must be a man sent from God. He can help me. And notice first about this soldier With his loving authority, he understands and appreciates authority in a way that few people do. You see, when he's talking to Jesus, he says, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. So you see, he understands about authority that authority is always derivative. It's always given to us. It's always a stewardship. He knows that he is not just in authority, but underneath authority. And anyone who's in a position of authority and doesn't recognize this, doesn't understand and appreciate authority for what it is. It's a stewardship. It's a gift. It's something given by the ultimate authority, which is God Himself, and then even other higher authorities in our lives. It's given to us to steward for a purpose, for the benefit of others. Authorities given to law enforcement to protect and serve. Similar with our military. They're given a kind of authority and power to serve and protect our country. They, we celebrate this weekend that many of them have laid down their lives to do so. You see, that's an understanding and an appreciation of, author- of what authority actually is and what it's meant to be. It's not meant to be this thing that we hold over others to subjugate them to our will. Instead, it's meant to be a stewardship, a gift given to us that we use for the benefit of others. And this soldier, he recognizes this. He knows that he's not just in authority, but underneath it, that it's a privilege that's been given to him. And as he comes to Jesus, he sees the one who has ultimate authority. And so this soldier, he understands and appreciates authority, and he uses it to love in three different ways. The first way is he uses it to love his servant. You read here uh, in these first couple verses that this servant who was at the point of death was highly valued by him. That was unheard of. He was a high high ranking Roman official who had a hundred men that served his commands. These, these men were not known for being benevolent to their servants. You see, you and I, when we think of a servant or a slave, we think of uh, our own American history. And and it's it's just a little different in the scriptural times. It was much more of a, a kind of mutual relationship when you saw a relationship between a master and a servant. There was benefit on both sides rather than power and authority exercised one direction and subjugation instead it benefited both and even at times in these times there would be a system in which uh, you could buy back your freedom through your work. And yet this this relationship between this Roman soldier, this commander of a hundred, and his servant is even more different than what would have been expected. So it's not just that the relationship between a master and slave was different in this time it's even this particular relationship was very very different even though slavery looked different in biblical times it still wasn't a good thing it still wasn't a a, a thing that acknowledged the image of god in human beings and even Paul says, if, if you're a slave and you're able to gain your freedom, you should seek it out. And so this I- idea that somehow the Bible justifies this kind of slave-master relationship is, is completely false. It was just a cultural reality of the day. And so the Bible speaks into it and tells slaves and masters how they were to live lives of faith with their cultural and historical setting. But here's what I want you to notice about this Roman soldier and his servant, is he highly values him. Another way that could be translated or looked at is is that this servant is loved and precious to him. He doesn't just care about this servant because of his good work for him. He cares about this servant as a human being. He highly values him, and he's concerned about his life. And so he sends a group of Jewish elders to the Jewish Messiah and and pleads with him, would you heal my servant? I care about him, I love him. So he uses his power and authority that he has over even the Jewish elders in his community as a Roman official for the benefit of his servant. His servant didn't have any right for this, there was, no, uh, there was no way in which he could have gained this for himself. And yet his master, he uses his authority to seek out his well-being, to seek out his healing and restoration, because he cares for him. So He uses authority in a loving way towards his servant. And then we also see that he uses loving authority towards his subjects, towards the Jewish people. What did the Jewish elders say about this Roman soldier? And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. Jewish people didn't say that about Romans. They, they just didn't. They hated the Roman authorities who were above them. They were longing for the Messiah to come and overthrow their rule and reinstitute God's kingdom on earth. And yet about this man, they have such an appreciation for him because of the way he's loved them. They go to Jesus and they say, he's worthy to have you do this for him. You should should say yes to his request. He's worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation. This was a man of authority. He used his authority and love towards those who were underneath him. He says they say he's the one who built us our synagogue. That would have been unheard of as well. That that, that was not a, a good thing for the Roman Empire for, for people to to be thinking about their own ways of life. And yet this man doesn't just allow them to meet together. He builds the place in which they do. You see, he loves his servant and he loves his subjects, those who are underneath his authority. He uses that authority to love them. And then ultimately, he uses loving authority towards and with his Savior. He, he, you see, he, when he sees Jesus, his understanding of authority is what allows him to have such humble faith in what Jesus is able to do for him. When he says, I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. He's looking at Jesus because of his understanding of authority, and he knows that Jesus has even a kind of authority that he doesn't possess, and that Jesus has the power to speak a word and something be done. You see, if you've you've ever been in the military or, or seen authority played out in this way, seen someone that has power to speak and something happens, then you understand this. This Roman soldier, he understands what authority is and he knows that Jesus has it. And he is a man who uses authority in a loving way, knows that Jesus does the same. And so he says, if you just speak it, It'll happen. You see, and and this brings us to our, our second idea of humble faith. This is what we see displayed in this passage most of all, is this man's humble faith in Christ. He believes that Jesus is able to do for him what he cannot do for himself or for those he cares for, and... He believes that Jesus is good and willing to do it even though he doesn't deserve it. That's what humble faith is. is It's an acknowledgement that God is good and he wants to do good towards us even though we are not good and we don't deserve his blessings. That's what it means to have faith is to know who God is And to trust him to do what he says he will do. And this man, he has it. He's not even Jewish. And he has faith in this Jewish God and the Messiah of the Jewish people. He has faith that this man is good. That this man is God come in the flesh to redeem his people. And to spread his glory throughout the earth. This man has a humble Faith. You see that he says, even though the Jewish people say about him, he's, they say to Jesus, he's worthy for you to do this for him. So they say, when we look at his life, he deserves this. You should do this for him. He's a good man. He exercises authority in a loving way. He has a great character that's consistent and stable and faithful. You should do this for him, they say. And yet, look at how he responds, how he understands himself. He says, for I am not worthy. Lord, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. See, he doesn't presume anything about himself. Though others see him as a great man, that's not the way he sees himself. He sees himself as unworthy. And I want you to understand something here about genuine biblical humility and faith as opposed to what we often mistake uh, pride and shame to be. You see, there's a difference between pride and shame and genuine humble faith. And oftentimes we get these things mixed up. We misunderstand these ideas, and we we think that pro- that humility really is is what shame is. Our version of humility is is really shame. Oftentimes, it's this idea that that I'm no good. I don't deserve anything. I'm I'm bad. I don't deserve to have good things happen to me and in my life. I don't deserve. I don't. I don't deserve for God to even look at me. It's, it's this constant focus on us. Which, what does that sound like? It sounds like pride, right? You see, pride and shame are two sides of the same coin. You see, we, we think, we often mistake shame for humility, thinking that uh, humility is us looking uh, poorly on ourselves. You see... Oftentimes this quote is misattributed to C.S. Lewis and when really it was Rick Warren or somebody else who said it, I'm not sure who said it first, but they said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So this, this Roman soldier, it's not that he thinks he's a terrible man. That's not what he's meaning when he says, I'm unworthy to have you come underneath my roof. Instead, his focus is on Jesus he says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That's what humility does, is it focuses us on God and who God is and all his perfections. Humility looks at who we are in light of who God is. It doesn't just look at us and say, oh man, how bad am I? That's shame. That's not humility, that's not faith. Faith Humble faith always turns us in a Godward direction. It always causes us to look up, not inward. Not that we don't look inward to evaluate our hearts and such in light of who God is, but but our focus is not primarily on how bad we are. Instead, it's on how good God is. That's what humility does. That's what faith does. That's what this man has. He says, I'm not worthy to have Jesus come under my roof because of who Jesus is. And so he's got a a humble faith. It's not shame, it's not pride, it's, it's humble faith. Pride says, I deserve good because I am so good. Shame says, I don't deserve good because I'm so bad. And humble faith, humility says, God wants to do good for me because God is good. You see what I'm saying? The focus with humility is never on us. And it's also, it's, it's also not thinking less of us. You see, I, I said this a couple weeks ago in another message. But I think we've got a problem when the first thing that we say about ourselves is that we're sinful. I'm not saying that we're not. That's not what I'm saying at all. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there's no one who seeks God out, who who genuinely wants God for who God is and God's purposes in their lives, that, that we all have selfish desires, that we've all gone astray, that we've all sinned against God and others. The Bible testifies to these things, but I think oftentimes we see that as the primary truth about us. And the problem with that is it's not where the scriptures start. The scriptures start with creation, They start with the image of God. They start with the fact that you and I, as men and women and and children, we were made in the image of the eternal God who is perfect and always good and always just, right, and true. We were made to be like him, to reflect his glory, his perfections, who he is to all of creation, that is what is primarily and firstly true of us. And then we get to Genesis 3. Then we get to sin against God that separated us from him and broken our relationship with him and others and, and that has transformed the way that we have to understand ourselves. And as we live in a broken world, we have to get to an understanding of how sinful we are to understand how much we need a redeemer. But if all we focus on is how bad we are, then we're not focusing on the Bible's picture of us. We're not seeing it all clearly. This man, he, he's not saying, I'm such a terrible person, why would I ever expect the Messiah to do anything for me? He's saying, the Messiah is so good, I, I, when compared with him, I'm unworthy, and if he just says a word, I know that he's that good that it'll happen. You see, humility, humble faith, it, it never centers on how horrible of a person you are and how it, it never continues to heap shame on you. Instead, it drives you to understand how good God is. That though we don't deserve it, that though we have rebelled against him, he has sent his son to redeem us that he has used his ultimate authority in a loving way towards us for our good and our benefit. You see, this is who our God is. Our God loves us in such a way that he uses his authority to lay his life down for us. And, and what a beautiful weekend to remember that this is who God is. Do you know that, God? You sitting in this room? You watching at home this morning? Do you know that good God who wants to do good towards you and who has extended what is ultimately good for you in his son, Jesus Christ? And he said, if you'll come to me humble and broken, knowing that you need me and you'll place your trust in me, then I'll redeem you. I'll make you my own once again. You don't have to keep trying to live life your own way. You don't have to keep trying to figure this thing out on your own. That this God is so good that he sent his son to save and redeem you, to reconcile you to himself and make you his own because he's good. Not because you're just amazing, but because he made you in his image and he cares about you. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants you to understand that the way authority is meant to be used is like this. is out of love for those who are underneath it. And so that's why we call Jesus a king. Jesus is a redeemer, certainly, for us, but he is also the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the one who holds ultimate authority and we can have a humble, trusting faith and a loving relationship with him because of how good he is and who he is and the way he uses that authority for our good and benefit. So maybe you haven't trusted this God this morning. One of us came in, or myself will be up here towards the front after service if you'd like to come talk with us about that. The other one of us will dismiss you by row. So please remain seated once we're done singing. If you've got something urgent that you need to really get to this morning, we we understand. uh, And you can't wait to be dismissed by row. Uh, You know, you've got a meeting or something like that. You've got to get to it. Uh, You know, feel free to slip out during the last song. We hope you'll stay and worship with us. Uh, But we know that dismissing by rows is a little different than what we normally do. So we have to do things differently and adjust. Listen, I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm so thankful that you're tuning in online and joining with us virtually. And I hope that the Lord continues to speak to you and draw you to himself. Because friends, he is good. Let me pray for us. Father, you are a good, good father. And so often when we look at authority in our world. We see brokenness. We see the fall. We see authority misused. And we see harm done. But God, you are unlike any of that. You always use your authority for our good. Especially for those of us who love you and trust in you and who are called according to your purposes. You say that you work all things for our good. Even hard things like sickness, a global pandemic, and other kinds of suffering that we walk through during this season. But God, you're good and you love us. And even the bad things, you turn them for our good. And so God, help us to turn to you. God, give us an understanding of what humility really looks like. Help us to see it in this passage and in the scriptures as a whole. And help us to to be driven forward towards you, that we would focus on you. God, you've extended to us your hand this morning. And so, Lord, help us to turn to you and to grasp hold of it by trusting in your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.